Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Good morning, friends. Welcome back. Glad to see everyone here. I know we're not all in here, but we're starting anyway. Welcome to everyone who is uh, with us online. I hope you guys had a great time of discussion in your groups. Um, I do want to just highlight a couple of announcements, um, some things that I, and I would love for you to join um, and participate in. We have a, a new group of Embrace Grace starting on Tuesday. Embrace Grace is a ministry that we do t- for young um, women who find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. So we have three women signed up um, so far. We're starting on Tuesday night, and I'm just asking you to pray. Pray for these women. Uh, they're, as far as we know, they are um, not attached to church in any way. So this will be an experience for them of the gospel, to be praying specifically that they, that they would hear clearly the gospel message. And I'm going to be sharing some ways that we can all participate in that in weeks to come. Um, our next service project that we're going to embark on together is um, to bless Foster Love Bell County with some snack bags for foster caseworker uh, caseworkers in our in our county. Uh, March they have deemed appreciation caseworker appreciation month and they're going to be blessing caseworkers in all sorts of ways. They asked us if we could could make snack bags. So um, there are five things that I'm going to send out to you in an email through your leaders. Five things that we're going to collect. Um, crackers like peanut butter crackers, goldfish, chips, granola bars, and one other thing, and water. I can't remember them all. Uh, They were scrolling on the screen if you watch the rolling announcements, but they will be sent to you, details in an email. Um, We need 200 of each thing, and I don't want any of you to go out and just buy it all. Like, I could go do that today. What I'd like for us to participate in is an exercise where you just bring a little bit, where when we all bring a little bit, it makes a lot. We're going to learn about this, that Jesus did this several times in the Gospel of Mark. So, um, just pick, I don't, I'm not going to assign you, you don't sign up. Just when you're at the store, pick out one of these things and bring it. We, if we have way more than 200 of each thing, we will find a good place for it to go. Um, but we're going to collect over the next two weeks, and then on February 11th, after class, if anybody can stay, we're going to put those bags together along the sides of the room. So that's our, our next project together. Okay, I would like you to stand. Hopefully some of you worked on memorizing Mark 1.17, but just in case, we're going to have this, the words on the screen. We're going to recite this together as our call to worship this morning. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. All right, let's pray together. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word that's alive and active and so, so pertinent to our, our life. We thank you that we were able to to read it and to study it this week on our own. We're thankful that we were able to come together and talk about it with new friends and old friends. We're thankful that you are teaching us through your word and through your people and through your Holy Spirit. And so we just um, praise you, God. Praise you together. We just ask you, Father, uh, right now to help us to just cast aside all the cares of this day, all the cares of this week, the long list of things we have to do, would you just help us to just put it aside and to put our attention on your word this morning? Would you teach us? Would you reveal to us something new? 
We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if any of you were aware, but we kind of had a big event in our country yesterday. And though it was tested, it was a peaceful transfer of power. But for much of world history, the transfer of power has been anything but peaceful. It's been bloody. In Samuel, you remember, we saw kings take power rather than assume it. They cut off heads and displayed them. The Philistines even hung the bodies of King Saul and his sons on a wall. But through Samuel, God did something new. He chose and had Samuel anoint a young shepherd boy, David as king, long before he ever assumed the throne. God supernaturally transferred the power of the kingdom by removing the spirit from Saul and placing it upon King David. Well, in Mark 1, we see a unique transfer of power. God transfers power from heaven to earth in the form of his son. But he does it in an upside-down way, and long before Jesus assumes this ultimate throne on the cross. Jesus won't take power by force, but it will be bloody. He'll give his blood as a ransom for many. He won't cut off heads, but he will be cut off for the sake of mankind. He won't hang bodies, but he'll allow himself to be stripped and hung on a tree for everyone to see, to win the most, the ultimate spiritual battle of all time. So Mark wastes no time in his gospel. He makes a proclamation right from the start. It's like he's saying, hear ye, hear ye. I'm about to tell you about God's anointed one. And so we're going to ask four questions of the text today. Who is this king? Where do you find him? What is his message? And where is he going? So today I want you to actually bring, take your Bibles out. I don't have any of the passages on the screen. I want you to open up to Mark chapter 1. I want you to read along. We're going to read the whole text together over the course of our time this morning. But we're going to start with the first question, who is this king? Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. You'll remember last week, I told you that our audience for this book were Gentile Christians in Rome. And so instead of convincing Jews with a long genealogy or birth story to prove where Jesus came from, what lineage he was from, Mark just assures these Christians right from the start that God has rolled out a red carpet for his king. What do you expect to see at the end of a red carpet? Anyone? Someone important, right? Yeah, a very important person. And Mark is saying to the audience here, 
that the Old Testament all the way back to Genesis has been rolling out a red carpet for Jesus, proving that he is the one. Prophets like Micah and Isaiah who are quoted here represented all the prophetic voices. The prophets who spoke all kinds of messages to Israel, letting them know that God's spirit was going to be poured out on the earth via a new king. And Mark is starting his gospel announcing Jesus. Jesus is the king who was to come. He's the Messiah. And it's as if he's about to say, now let me prove to you that he really was God's son. So we move straight into uh, the next question. This is where we're going to spend the most time together this morning. Where do you find him? Where do you find this king? We're going to be in Mark 1, 4 to 13, but we'll start with verses 4 to 7. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So first we see in this passage that we find Jesus, we find this king in the wilderness. John spent a lot of time in the wilderness, preaching in his eccentric style and pointing people to the one who was to come, Jesus. And people from all over Judea were drawn somehow to him, to the wilderness, to repent and to get baptized by John. Well, you know that in the story of God, people have spent a lot of time wandering in the wilderness. Remember after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they experienced life in the wilderness where thorns and thistles grew. And work was really hard here. As a sinful human, you're confronted with your helplessness in the wilderness. Years later, Abraham's descendants, Israel, were delivered from centuries of Egyptian slavery. We studied this just a few years ago in Exodus, if you were with us. In their sin and failure to trust God's deliverance, they were forced to wander for 40 years in the wilderness before entering the promised land. Next fall, Lord willing, if you want to come back, we're going to be studying First and Second Kings, where Israel just continues to spiral into sin and division leading to their exile. But God doesn't leave them alone. He sends Elijah, a wilderness prophet, who would beg God's people to repent and turn to God. And so many of the prophets, after Elijah, would tell Israel that one day there was one coming, just like Elijah, and he would prepare the way for the Messiah. And so here, according to Mark, John the Baptist, Jesus' distant cousin, You had to read other stories to find that out. But he was the guy. He looks and he acts a lot like Elijah. He camps out in the wilderness. He wears wilderness clothes. He eats wilderness foods. 
John the Baptist was the humble messenger, the prophet they had waited for, making a straight path for Jesus. The sandals of whom he considered himself unworthy to even stoop down and untie. Unworthy to even be a servant for this king. That's how grand, that's how wonderful John pointed Jesus out to be. So why was he in the wilderness? I think this is deeply symbolic. And it matters to you and me. You, you can't stay alive in the wilderness without the intervention of God. It's literally the wild. So it's not, it's not a forest teeming with life, but a wasteland. It's a place of thorns where nothing grows. So it's here that you experience true hunger. There's little water in the wilderness, and so here you experience true thirst. Desolation and loneliness mark the wilderness. The wilderness draws you to God. I know you know the kind of wilderness that I'm talking about. This is where you come to the end of yourself and you say, I just can't do this, Jesus. I need you. The wilderness draws you to repentance because it forces you to stop and to turn to the only one who can actually help you, who can lead you out. So many of you know that I have personally struggled with depression for many years, and it's awful and it's frustrating, but since I've asked God to take it away and he hasn't completely, I trust that it is my gift. My thorn, like Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 12, it's a constant wilderness reminder for me that I am completely dependent on Jesus for life and for joy. Because you see, it's in that wilderness state where you actually can drink in the living water that can give you spiritual life. That's Jesus. So water is the second place that we find him. Let's keep reading. Keep reading, chapter 1, verses 8 through 13. John the Baptist again saying, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open And the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Well, we also know that water is a big part of God's story. Remember, right before creation, the Spirit hovered over the waters before God ever spoke the first word. God's people, Israel, were saved from slavery in Egypt through the water, through the Red Sea. They left that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and they went into the promised land through the water. Remember that last Last fall, the Jordan River. And then after, when they, when they went to Mount Sinai and God gave them the law, it was full of a lot of rules 
that included washings with water for purification. But these washings, these important, this important ritual was something that you did to yourself in the old law. What Mark is telling us all is that meeting Jesus changes everything, even the use of water. No longer do you wash yourself as in the Jewish law. This is now done to you, Jews and Gentiles alike. John with water to symbolize your part, repentance. But Jesus will actually redeem you in himself, immersing you with the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this yourself. Jesus is doing something new. In these verses, we see Jesus, God's son, publicly baptized, which means he was put under, immersed in water by John. And we know that this couldn't have been for him a baptism for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus committed no sin. But rather, this baptism is to announce the kingdom of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have come. And it's going to be an immersive experience. You see, God is present here at the Jordan River again, just like he was for Israel under Joshua, miraculously leading his people through the water to a new promised land, the kingdom of God. And this time, the Father is audibly and personally confirming the Son. I love this. This is different than the transfiguration when he says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Heaven is literally torn open. And this mirrors the veil that'll be torn from top to bottom in the temple when Jesus dies. And just like the anointing oil that Samuel poured on David's head, the spirit is being poured out, descending down upon Jesus like a dove. This is a new anointing of God's king. And I love God's choice of words here because they, they resonate with me. I, I think they would resonate with you. These are the words that every child longs to hear from their parents. I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so pleased with you. And later, we'll talk a lot more about the baptism that Jesus left for you and for me after he's, his death, after his resurrection, an act of obedience and following him, a way to publicly identify with Christ's death and burial and resurrection. But for right now, I want you to know that in Christ, what's true of Jesus in this moment is also true of you. God longs to tell you the same words that he said to his son. You are my beloved child, Amy. I am well pleased with Christ in you. Then it's so interesting, the Spirit immediately sends Jesus back to the wilderness to conquer and to redeem it once and for all. In Genesis, Adam and Eve experienced creation and then temptation and then Satan. 
In Exodus, the Jews had this new birth through the Red Sea. Then they were tempted at the rock. And then they were taunted by Satan for 40 years. In Mark, Jesus comes out of the water. And then he's immediately led into the wilderness for 40 days. And he battles Satan. Do you think this is a coincidence? I don't think so. Mark doesn't give us a lot of details in his account, but he does add a very unique one, not found in any other gospel. Jesus was with the wild animals, conquering them one by one as angels ministered to him. You remember last week I told you that the Roman Christians, who this book was written to, were about to literally be thrown to wild animals really soon after this gospel is written. And I think Mark is saying to them and to us that Jesus went first. He's faced what you're going to face, and he's defeated the wild animals through the power of God, given to him through the Holy, script, through the Holy Spirit and through the words of Scripture. So I want to ask you this morning, what wild animals taunt you? What are your deepest fears? What stubborn temptations do you face? I want you to know that Jesus knows everyone. He endured everything that you have faced and ever will face in this time of wilderness temptation. And he defeated it. He made a way for you to face it and to win every single time. His spirit is in you, and it's in everyone in this room. It's in others. And through his spirit, he teaches you, and he reminds you of the promises in his word. There's always a way out of the wilderness in Christ. Well, the next question we want to ask is, what is his message? We talked about this last week. Um, I want to talk about it again. This is verses 14 and 15, chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, this is a detail that we will come back to later, I promise. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the message is pretty simple here. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is a phrase that Mark is using to sum up all the news that Jesus was calling the people then and us now to believe. This was Jesus' gospel message. The kingdom of God is at hand. What, what does it mean for something to be at hand? It's quite literally within arm's reach, nearby. So in my house, my, a glass of water and my Bible are at hand on my bedside table, because I might need them in the night. It's nearby. So Jesus is saying, God is doing something new. I brought the kingdom really close to you, nearby. It's so close that you can reach out and touch me. I've brought it here. Heaven just opened up and came to touch the earth in me. It's already here. I am here. So the kingdom of God wasn't a new piece of advice 
or a new political agenda. It wasn't a new type of spirituality. It was the good and extremely dangerous news that the living God was on the move and coming into his kingdom in the form of Jesus Christ. And so what was Jesus asking people to do in response? Repent and believe that. Cut loose your ties, all your other ties, and trust me. Like David, grieve your sin, but cling to me. Turn away from the social and political agendas that are driving you into a crazy war. He was saying that to Israel. I think he's saying that to us. Turn your loyalty back to Yahweh, your God. Jesus was calling them and us to trust the good news that God was doing something new in Jesus. In some ways, the kingdom of God is still at hand. It's still so close that you can touch it because it's right here in Christ's remaining earthly body, you and me, the church. The kingdom is here already in us. But at the same time, it's still a great mystery. There's a future unknown to the kingdom. And so every time you hear Jesus speak in the Gospel of Mark, he's going to be explaining this mystery, this mysterious part, bit by bit. He'll say, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And I'm like, why can't you just say exactly what it is? Well, it's because there's, there are no earthly words to describe this full heavenly reality. And so he'll say, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'll tell a story They're called parables. Or he'll tell an, an analogy. Or he'll perform a miracle. Or he'll just have a conversation with a very unlikely person. And every time he's showing a little bit more and a little bit more what the kingdom of God is like. In a sense, the kingdom continues to be revealed. It's something that's coming. It's not yet. It's that part of the kingdom that will finally be revealed upon his ultimate return. And so that brings us to the final question. Where is he going? So let's read Mark 1, 16 to 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. So you and I know that Jesus was going down a very treacherous road. It was not a kingly road that led to a great throne and riches and glory, but rather a path that went through the wilderness and the wild animals and temptation and Satan and ultimately to death on a cross. And the essence 
of life in the kingdom is to follow him down this difficult path. He calls Peter and Andrew and James and John ordinary fishermen, unlikely messengers, and he simply compels them to follow him. They left their families. They left their known source of income, not because they knew every detail about where he was going, but because he called them by name. They were compelled by his love. There was just something so different about him. They had to follow him. And I want you to notice from our memory verse, in verse 17, Jesus said that he would make them become fishers of men. They had no idea what that meant when they left everything to follow him. They didn't have to prove themselves able to be fishers of men when all they knew how to do was to catch fish. All they had to do was stick with Jesus until they became what he said they were going to be. And these men would carry his message literally to the ends of the earth. Without them, we wouldn't have gotten it. And they carried it to their own death. I want to tell you about my grandmother, and I hope I don't hope I don't cry because I was crying as I was trying to write it down. But my grandmother, she was a really good fisherwoman of actual fish and of people. She would catch all of the fish, and my grandfather would clean them all. This is a picture of them with me at my college graduation. Of course, I couldn't find one at the lake where I'm about to tell this story. Um, But, oh my goodness, I love, love, love my grandmother. She lived on Lake LBJ in Kingsland, Texas, about 10 miles from where I grew up. And so at night, when she couldn't sleep, she would go down to her boat dock, and she would sit in the quiet, and she would catch fish. Lots and lots of fish. And this was the one place that I was allowed to go at night, anytime, especially after I could drive. And even past my curfew, I was always allowed to go and sit with my grandmother on the dock. And we would talk about any and everything. I felt so loved and so known sitting on that dock. She was as good of a fisherwoman as you will ever meet. But I didn't go to learn how to catch fish. She was incredibly wise. But I didn't go there for her wisdom. I went because she listened to me. And I felt safe talking to her. She helped me to see myself and the world through her eyes of faith and her focus on Jesus. I simply loved her. And sure enough, Over time, I became a pretty good fisherwoman myself and a pretty good listener, too. I became like her because I spent a lot of time with her. Jesus' followers would become fishers of men because they spent a lot of time following, watching, pursuing people, and talking with a fisher of men, Jesus Christ. Well, in the late first century, in the early second century, not long after Mark was written, Jesus' followers were facing great danger and great persecution, and they needed a secret symbol 
let others know that they were Christ followers without alerting the Roman authorities who wanted them dead. And so they chose this simple fish. Many of you have probably seen this symbol, still used today as a Christian symbol. It was really easy to kneel down in the sand and to draw this little symbol and alert people that you were a Christian. The word fish in Greek is this word. It's ichthus, and it's spelled with these five Greek letters. And so if you spoke Greek and you took those letters and you made an acrostic out of them, what the early followers did, they would say this, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. So this was the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, a Savior so worth following, even down a dangerous and treacherous road. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the example that Jesus gave, an example that we can follow in his steps. We're thankful for the life that he lived on our behalf through the wilderness of temptation, fighting every sin and overcoming it, all the way to dying on a cross for us. God, would you help us to understand this more and more as we read, as we study, as we talk over the course of this semester? God, we, we long to follow you wholeheartedly, completely, Jesus as our only king. Help us to do that together. We pray these things in Jesus' name.